Welcome to GMHC 2020. My name is Jamie Saint, and today we're going to be talking about building empowering partnerships. First, let me start with just a little bit of background for you. Um, and you'll be seeing the slides as we go. Um, people ask me oftentimes, why do you travel? Now, COVID time is a little bit different. Um, I show them a picture of my girls that you're seeing now and they don't ask anymore why I travel a lot. COVID time has been very interesting with uh, six girls and a wife, uh, two female dogs. Um, sometimes they just want to kick me out or sometimes I want to kick them out, but most of the time uh, we enjoy the extra time that we've been able to have together. One of the questions that I get asked often one of the most uh, asked questions at the GMHC is, how's your dad doing? My dad had been speaking at GMHC for many, many years, um, up until an injury, a spinal cord injury, eight years ago. And um, he's doing well. He's an incomplete quadriplegic. He and my mom love each other. They've been married now, um, I think, 46 or 47 years. Um, so they're doing well. Some days my dad has good days. Some days my dad has bad days. Um, every day is just is different. Ups and downs. Um, but as far as emotionally, spiritually, he's doing extremely well. I know he misses not being able to be at the GMHC and to be able to speak to, to you, but um, know that he is doing well. Yeah, I grew up in a, in a missions family. My dad grew up in a, in a family of missionaries down in the Amazon rainforest. My grandfather, Nate, that you see pictured here, along with my grandmother and then my, my dad with his older sister. His younger brother is not pictured. Um, he gave his life trying to reach a, a group of Indians, the Waodani, previously known as the Alcas, who had never had a friendly contact in recorded history prior to my grandfather and his four friends trying to reach them. That was in 1956, um, you know, for 13 weeks prior to going in and having a, the first contact face-to-face. -face, they began giving gifts by means of a bucket drop. Um, you know, my grandfather knew that this was a risky thing. And on page 309 of the, of the uh, end of the spear, the book, he said this, If God would grant us the vision the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. We would hate the things that seem now so dear to us, and we would charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. You know, that's, that's something that has stuck with me. You know, serving God is not a, it's not a sacrifice. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that God allows us to co-labor with him in what we call the great omission. On January 6, 1956, they had a friendly contact. Two days later, the Indians came back and they speared my grandfather and his four friends to death. Young men, ages 27 to 32. But as often is the case when God writes a story, he doesn't write the whole story in one chapter. Two years later, my great aunt moved in with the tribe. 
along with Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of Jim Elliot, who died with my grandfather. And then two years after that, when Elizabeth Elliot left, my dad had the opportunity to go in and and begin spending time in with the tribe. Short time after he had been in there, uh, Minkai, the man who killed my grandfather, um, ended up adopting my dad, teaching him how to live out in the jungles. In 1994, when Aunt Rachel died, my dad went down for the funeral, and after the funeral, the tribe came to him and said, okay, now that Nemo star, Aunt Rachel, is dead, we say that you being part of our family, you come with your family and you live with us. Now, we had been down multiple times down to the jungles with Aunt Rachel, knew the members of the tribe, and spent quite a bit of time. But my dad said no, he wasn't going to go down. That wasn't in his plans. And the tribe said that Aunt Rachel told the tribe that my dad would move down. And so he said, well, I'll pray about it. A similar excuse that you or I might use in a church when we're asked to take over a ministry or to serve in a particular ministry. And the tribe said, well, we've already talked to God. We know that he sees it well. And my dad, thinking quickly on his feet, said, well, speaking to Ongi Kamo and Wang Ongi, my mom and the creator, because even though they could talk to God, they couldn't talk to my mom. She was in Florida. Even if there was a way to communicate from 60 miles out in the Amazon to north central Florida, they didn't speak the same language. But the tribe said, well, only in common being a, a Christ follower, if God sees it, well, how can she not come? So in 1995, two weeks after I graduated from high school, we moved down to live with the tribe and we said, what do you want us to do for you? Because that's what missionaries do. They do things. And they said, no, we don't, we don't want you to do. Foreigners are always coming and doing for us. We want you to come and teach us what the foreigners know how to do so that we can care for the needs of our own people. Foreigners were coming in and meeting the dental care needs, meeting the medical needs, even flying them from place to place when there was an emergency. But they said there's two problems. They said when the foreigners come, they only come when it's convenient for them not when we have a problem. And they said, secondly, when they come, they can only meet a physical need, but our people have a bigger need than a physical need. They have a spiritual need. They said, but if we knew how to do the the bagabia, the dental thing, and the medicine thing, they said, we would not only be here when there's a problem, but when we take care of the problem, we would also tell them that Jesus could fix their hearts. Well, that sounded really good, but how do you do that? But that concept, that idea that the Waodani had was the basis for founding ITEC, the Indigenous People's Technology and Education Center. What we do at ITEC is we teach men to fish rather than giving them a fish. When you teach somebody to fish, you feed them for a lifetime, but when you just give a handout, you only feed them for that day. It's really giving them a hand up rather than a hand out. At iTech, we do three things. We develop, we train, and we equip. We develop tools transforming the technology that we have in the United States for a developing world context. For instance, like a dental chair. You'll see a dental chair in a, in a demonstration in a few moments but transforming technology to fit 
a developing world context. So we develop tools and then we also develop training systems in order to train and equip indigenous Christ followers around the world to meet the felt or physical needs of their own people as a door opener to share the gospel. You know, it doesn't matter if people die with good teeth or bad teeth, with medical problems or no medical problems. It does matter where they go when they die. And that's, um, that's really the big thing. But people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. But once they know that you care for them, you're able to speak truth into their lives and they'll listen because you've already demonstrated the love of Christ to them. And finally, we equip others to do the same. So we develop tools and training systems in order to train and equip indigenous Christ followers to meet physical needs as a door opener to share the gospel. And then we share the vision in order to equip others to do the same, to go and to train and equip indigenous Christ followers to meet the needs of their own people and their own community as a door opener to share the gospel. Now, if we're going to talk about building empowering partnerships, we really need to first talk about the mission. We're going to step outside, outside of this studio, and we're going to show you what is the mission. This is an illustration that I've used all over the country and even in other countries to demonstrate the Great Commission, which is the mission that Christ has us on. Before we move further, we need to talk about the mission. And I'm referring to the Great Commission. We find the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, and then following up 2 Timothy 2.2. Where Matthew 28 says, go everywhere and make disciples. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, make disciples who can make disciples that can make disciples. So if we're going to understand what the mission is, we need to see what it is. And I have an illustration here. This uh, is a 300-foot tape. And while I explain this, I'm going to have John uh, take this tape and just walk around so you can, you can see what it is. So today in the world, there are approximately 7 billion people living on planet Earth. 7 billion. Now, of those 7 billion people, there's about 3 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. This 300-foot tape is going to refer to those 300, um, or the 300-foot tape is going to refer to those 3 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Now, as John walks around, we need, to, we need to look at this. This is the Great Commission. The three billion people who have never heard. That's the mission that Jesus gave us. Now, today, there are approximately 140,000 long-term, full-time foreign missionaries in the world. Now, of those, at any given time, there's some that are on furlough, raising more money, talking to their supporters... And then there are some that are really just ineffective. So if we round down, let's just say that there's 100,000 long-term, full-time foreign missionaries that are effective in the world today. Now, in terms of the 300-foot uh, tape or the 3 billion people who have never heard, if we look at that 100,000 long-term, full-time missionaries, we get to, if we look at the tape that starts right here, 
we get to approximately one-eighth of an inch. Now, if you can see this tape, and thank you, you can just put that down right where it is. Ladies, you can go ahead and drop it. Thank you. So when you look at that, here's your 100,000 long-term full-time missionaries. Now, let's say that these missionaries are real go-getters. They go out and reach a lot of people with the gospel. You know, let's say they reach 500 people with the gospel. We get to approximately five feet on this tape right here. Now, one of two things is the case. One, either God gave us a mission through Jesus that's really impossible for us to do. Well, God being a good father would never give us something that was impossible. Or, number two, we're not doing God's will, God's way. When you look at the 300 billion, or the 300 foot tape, the 3 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus, and if each of our long-term, full-time foreign missionaries each reach 500 people, this is where we get to. Maybe we're not doing God's will, God's way. Now let's just say that each of those long-term, the 100,000 full-time missionaries, each reach 60 indigenous Christ followers and disciple them to be able to make disciples and make disciples. And then each of those 60 indigenous Christ followers around the world each reach 500 people. Do you know where we get to? We get to 300 feet. We get to 3 billion people. The mission is not impossible. We simply have to do God's will, God's way. The task is before us, and that's the question that we're going to wrestle with today. Are we willing to do God's will, God's way? So now you can see through that illustration the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 says, Go and make disciples in all the world. Our call is to go, but it's not to go and do things for people. It's a call to go and make disciples. And then in 2 Timothy 2.2, it says, Make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. In that verse, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, The things which you have heard of me, the same commit to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. We see four generations in that discipleship. It is Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the faithful, the faithful to others also. What is the true test of discipleship? The true test of discipleship is not if your disciple follows Christ. It's if your disciple's disciple follows Christ. Just like the true test of parenting is not how your kids turn out, it's how your grandkids turn out. Did you teach your children enough about following Christ and about becoming parents that it wasn't just forcing them into obedience, but it was really teaching them so they could teach others also? So today as we look at what it means to build empowering partnerships or how we can build empowering partnerships, we're going to look at seven principles. Now, rather than you just hearing from me, 
what we're going to do is we're going to look at seven different people who have shared with us some very key principles about building empowering partnerships. Now, these seven principles that we're going to go over, um, we call these the Mission Minute. Um, the Mission Minute was released in right after Labor Day in September, and we're going to have about a, just over a year's worth of content releasing one per week talking about how do we, as North American or as the Western Church, how do we partner with indigenous, local bodies of believers around the world to build these empowering partnerships? And again, rather than just hearing from me, we're going to hear from people um, that we've been partnering with for a long, long time. The first principle is learn to listen. Learn to listen. We come from a dominant culture. Anybody who's been through the Missions Dilemma or read The Great Omission, um, especially the Missions Dilemma, you probably heard Oscar Murillo say, you know what, don't come and fix us. Just come and listen. You come from a dominant culture. So as soon as you speak, the conversation is over. What we need you to do is we need you to come and listen. Just be there and listen to us. Most people know the three rules of real estate are location, location, and location. And I would submit to you that the three rules of missions should be listen, listen, listen. Let's take a look at uh, this first video. This is Charlie Vitito. Charlie was our first training dentist here at, uh, at ITech. He was a board member for several years. And then he went and started Empower Approach, a training ministry um, that started in 2006. And then a short time later, he became the international uh, missions pastor for Southeast Christian Church, the host of the GMHC. And today is the missions pastor, as well as a few other roles at uh, Southeast Christian Church. Let's listen to what Charlie has to say. I think it's important that um, we really study our past efforts. And I don't want to be critical of our past efforts. I can tell you there was a season in our church when we did that, where we would go and, and paint a building or we would uh, repair a roof. And, and those are helpful for people. But what we didn't know we were saying is that Maybe you're not capable of doing that, so we're here to do this for you. So I think a real test, especially of short-term missions now, is what can you leave behind? What are the skills, what are the knowledge that's going to be relevant for that community that will help that church be more impactful in its work? So those are the types of questions we need to ask. So when we consider a church wherever it is around the world, we, we need to ask them, what would really help you? And, uh, and be willing to hear them say, this won't help us, but this would help us. And there's that collaboration that, that the epistles talk about over and over, how uh, the body of Christ worked together to have an impact in a community. One of the things that we heard throughout the Mission Minute interviews that we did last year prior to the GMHC is that foreigners do not feel the freedom to say no. But when we go 
and we ask them and we wait and we just listen. You know, just ask the questions and listen to what they have to say. Giving them, what happens is we end up building relationships and through those relationships, they will have the freedom to say, you know what, just like what Charlie said, you know what, this would help us, but this really wouldn't help us. You know, you coming and building and building, that really wouldn't help us right now. But man, there's there's a real need in our community. If you would come and you would train some of the people to be able to meet that need, that would really help us to have a long-term impact for the sake of the gospel in our community. So principle number one is learn to listen. The second principle that I want to share with you is we need to understand the need. If we don't listen to what our partners overseas say, we'll never understand what they see as the need. So many mission trips go today because they have seen a need from their own perspective. And you know, oftentimes, the foreign partner doesn't see that as a need for their community. But if we stop and listen, and then we listen to what they see as the real needs, we'll be able to go in and help them solve a need that they see in their community by training them to take care of it so that they'll have an opportunity to share the gospel. This video is uh, Galo Ortiz. Galo is an Ecuadorian. His grandparents worked with my grandparents years and years and years ago. Today he is the director of iTech Ecuador, a training center located on the edge of the jungles that does businesses' missions so that they are fully self-sustaining. There's about 15 people that work at iTech Ecuador. All of them are Ecuadorian. There's nobody from the U.S. that works down there uh, full-time, and it's led by Galo Ortiz, born and raised right there in Shell, where my grandparents were based. Let's uh, listen to that video. Again, this is Galo Ortiz. Understand the need. Well, there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of things that as people uh, being raised in a developed country like this, it makes you and gives you more perspectives and ideas about how to do things, you know, because the resources, because the, the information, the infrastructure, and it, it is great. You know, I think a, a partner from the United States, it's, it's really viable. Now, trying to understand what's the need is the hard part because normally we have a solutions here. You know, there's you get in the internet and you and you get a solution for almost anything. Um, but how that it can be effective in the receiver end? That's that's the hard part. Um, we can probably say, well, they don't have a good quality water, for example, and it happened to us. Um, oh, we can install a filter. We can get filters. But we don't know what kind of water they are receiving. Me as growing up in Shell, we don't have um, uh, good 
you know, good quality water, not because it has bacteria, but because it has a lot of sand and mud. So in our area, a lot of people wanted to install filters. You know what happened? The first day, they run out of water. Why? Because the filters get clogged with sand and mud. Filter cleans water? Yes. It's a, you know, everywhere in the United States, you install a filter, water, purifier, it works. But there, works for a day. So, how do you know that? Because you live there, you get connections, you get information, and you get the right need. When we don't understand the need from the perspective of the locals, good intentions don't necessarily equate to lasting impact. You know, filters, great idea. Filters came from the U.S., they went down there, but they didn't solve the need. And so we need to always be careful that before we partner, we need to understand the need through the eyes of the local church. So one, we need to learn to listen. Two, we need to understand the need. And then three, we need to build on what they have. You know, God told Moses at the burning bush, he said, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses said, well, I have this staff. And he said, okay, with that staff, you're going um, to lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt into the promised land. You know, we need to find out if we're truly going to partner, there has to be, it's not a one-way street. We may have more resources, but they can contribute as well. There's, there's many things that they can contribute. They have capacity. This next video is Tom McKechnie. Tom McKechnie is the founder of Teach to Transform, which started out of Empower Approach. Um, today, Teach to Transform travels around the world training in basic medical care. And uh, I want you to hear um, this from Tom. So when I first started missions, it was go and do. You know, I did the huge medical clinics, uh, a lot of them through Southeast. We, we would see just uh, patient after patient. But it was, the line was, uh, was you could never, the day wasn't long enough to see the hundreds and, and sometimes thousands of patients uh, that we would see on these trips. So the question kept being asked to me and gnawing at me, why am I leaving uh, when there's so many more to see? And so God was speaking to me about the way I was doing it. And then one particular trip I was on, um, uh, the team was sick, so I was up every night and I heard crying in the distance. And I thought, how peaceful is this? And saw these little bit of fires. And uh, so the next morning, my first patient, uh, a mother came and said, my child felt hot, wasn't eating, and couldn't breastfeed anymore. So I thought, well, just a respiratory infection. And when I opened up the blanket, to my horror, the baby had died. So I reflected on that, and I said, God, what are you, what are you showing me by this? And it came to me very quickly. What if she would have? What if she knew the signs of respiratory distress in a newborn? What if I could have trained someone to recognize that this baby should have been looked at a day or two ago? So um, through that process, I started to look at the way I was doing missions. So what Tom shared there is that he's a, he was an ER doc. He's now retired. 
uh, doing full-time with Teacher Transform. But he went and he did the big medical brigades, going, seeing a lot of people for a week, and then leaving. And you know what? There is a time for that. There's specialists that, you know what, they can go and, and train people. I know a doctor that went over to um, a country in Asia and went and trained the doctors there to do open-heart surgery. There is a place for that. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's no way that anybody should ever go do that. But we do need to ask ourselves, what is the lasting impact on the short-term trip? Because when that medical team leaves, often they leave nothing behind. But what if they were to go and some of the team were to train basic medical things to people in the community, Christ followers in the community, who then would be the first level of defense. When they go, normally there's no medical access for the people where these medical brigades go. So if they, if the Christ followers could be the first line of defense, meeting basic medical needs, wound care, triage, um, hygiene, setting and splinting bones, basic things, helping babies breathe, knowing some of the things to look for, you know what? there would be a long-term impact for the sake of the gospel. You know, oftentimes we think low technology is the same as low intelligence. But I would submit to you, having traveled around the world to many, many countries, low intelligence or low technology does not equal low intelligence. They're different things. They can learn if we're willing to teach them. Now, we don't need to teach them as though they're going to become doctors or nurses or dentists. We need to simplify the training to only the basics of what they, of what they need to be able to meet a need. Build on what they have. They have the capacity to learn if we would be willing to train them. So learn to listen, understand the need, build on what they have. And then finally, um, number four, we get to going and doing something. Go and train. Go and train. This next one is uh, Francis Bucacci. Francis Bucacci is the director, he's the founder of Hope Alive Initiatives. Hope Alive Initiatives goes in, raises up leaders from within the church. They work in many African countries, um, raising up leaders to then turning uh, ministry over to them doing community development, leadership training, a host of things. Um, we call them a first wave ministry. And then ministries like Teach to Transform, like Empower Approach, like iTech, like Fame, go in as a second wave, training the people that they have trained with a skill to have access to meet physical needs as a door opener to share the gospel. Frank Bucacci, um, he's one of those guys that when he speaks, you want to listen. This is principle number four. Go and train. One of the approaches of helping churches to have an impact in poor communities, you have to help them to see that they have a role to play in the Great Commission. They have to learn to obey the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great Concern. Because what happens is there is always a temptation to rely on outsiders to do the work for them. When actually, 
the Bible says clearly the laborers are few. So our goal is to make sure that these local churches, the pastors and leaders become effective laborers in their communities because the church is the key to the transformation of their communities. I don't think government can do it. I think over working over time in several countries, the government doesn't have enough resources in any country to solve problems in the community. So for us, we believe the church is key in bringing transformation in communities. That is means spiritual change, uh, mind change, things to do with education, physical, taking care of physical needs, meeting social needs. Um, we find people are lonely, who need counseling, and some countries, basically, there are no counselors. So we train churches in all those areas to learn to meet those needs. Uh, biblically, we also believe that the church is God's footprint on the ground. Without the church, the Lord cannot work in a community. He needs us, and we need him. What you heard Frank say there, Francis, is the key for transformation in a community is the local church. They are the best people to share the gospel in their community. They know the people. They know the language. They're from the same culture, so they understand that. They live in the same places. They, under, they are the best people to share the gospel. So if we can simply equip the church by training them with skills that they see the need for, they will be able to have an impact for the sake of the gospel by meeting those physical needs uh, and then having an open door to share the gospel. Principle number five is build relationships and dignity. You know, relationships are the key to everything. Without relationship, there's not going to be a long-term impact because without relationship, you're never going to learn to listen. You're never going to, if you don't listen, you're not going to understand the need. If you don't understand the need and spend time with them, you're not going to know what they have to contribute. And then if you go and, and you train without really the base of understanding what they see the need to be and what they have, you know, in their hands, it's going to be ineffective. They're not going to continue with it. So afterwards, we need to, we need to contact them. Hey, how are things going? What do you wish after now you've been practicing? What do you wish you would have had that you don't have? What do you wish we would have taught you that we didn't cover at that time? Uh, this video is uh, Joshua Chang. Uh, Joshua Chang is the director of Green Window Ministries. Green Window, you've heard of the 1040 window. Green Window Ministries is um, 23 and a half degrees on either side of the equator. That's where all the jungle areas of the world, people often, there's 800 or so million people that are beyond roads. Um, that's where Green Window Ministries focuses. Joshua Chang um, is a South Korean missionary to Brazil, sent from a church in New York who lives in Donellan, Florida. Uh, he was born in Korea was raised in Bolivia where his parents were missionaries, uh, ended up going um, with his family, with his kids and his wife uh, to Brazil and served there many years uh, and then moved to Donellan to found Green Window Ministries. And that's what he's doing today. Let's listen to Joshua. I am not against short-term missions, but then I am against short-term missions that does not build the locals. Um, 
I think the popularity of short-term missions is because by doing that, the church also gets involved in activities, and also the pastor uh, knows that the church is doing something. And because of that, a lot of other people can come, especially young people. We don't want to use the young, you don't want to lose the younger generation in our, in our society. And uh, by doing short-term missions, we are bringing young people, high schoolers and college students, to get involved in something that is not earthly, but godly, and so that doing short-term mission trips. I don't think there's a long-term impact on a short-term mission trip if we are doing short-term missions the way we are doing now. Why? Because most of the short-term missions trips that we are doing today are just momentum impact. Like, we have this, and we want to give you this, and it's like uh, sending them a uh, bomb. You just leave it there, and then it, boom, explodes. Everything looks nice. You have done a great thing, and a lot of people are blessed. And then you're coming back and sharing that with the church, which is great. But what about the local people after you left? What about the missionary who is working with them, who do not have the resources that you bring all the time? They don't have that to continue the, the, the ministry that he's, he's doing. So that puts the missionary or the mission effort down there in the field uh, in a very perilous uh, aspect, situation. So what Joshua said is local sustainability builds the dignity of the local church. There needs to be sustainability. It needs to have a long-term impact. Otherwise, we really don't know if there's really been any impact at all. And again, these are things that I could have shared with you, but I wanted you to hear from people from many different walks of life who are all serving in missions, who all have experience with short-term mission trips, um, both that are effective for long-term impact and those that are not. So the principle so far, we need to learn to listen. Second, we need to understand the need. Third, we need to build on what they have. Then we need to go and train. After we go and train, we need to build relationships and dignity with our partners overseas. And then number six, we need to follow up. Uh, Mike Goddard is our next uh, video. Mike is the Director of Partners for Paraguay. Um, listen to what Mike has to say. I think you'll find it very intriguing. With like any program, it needs or, or training, it needs follow-up. Um, many training uh can last a week, a week-long training, but then, but then uh, things get fuzzy after a while, and, and this happens to anyone. Uh, after you get away from school for a while, things get fuzzy. <laughs> How do I do that again? You know? So you have to practice, and, and that's where uh, I noticed that that follow-up process is essential to, to maximize the effectiveness of, of, of uh, iFilm, of, of uh, other, other elements that are, are training, um, short-term training mechanisms. After doing a training, after touching base and, and building, continuing to build those relationships, follow-up is key. 
what follow-up does is it polishes the training and builds confidence in the students. And then you know what? After we've done that, we can go somewhere else. They have the confidence, they have the skills to be able to do the training that we've trained them to do that they have seen the need for in their own community. And then we can go and do training somewhere else. The last principle, we have learn to listen, understand the need, build on what they have, go and train, build relationships and dignity, follow up, and then finally, and this is one of the most important ones, I think, is walk together in humility. Uh, this next video is Bill Griffin. Bill Griffin is the Vice President for Dental Ministries at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, <clears throat> Bill Griffin um, sold his dental practice and is now working full-time for CMDA. Let's listen to Bill. Short-term mission trips have shown me without a doubt that we are all at the same level at the foot of the cross, all equally in need of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's not a matter of superior Westerners blessing inferior people around the world with the care they need in a unilateral direction. While we do have the blessing of uh, considerable healthcare opportunities and providers willing to share their skills, we also at times I think suffer because of all the material blessings that we have. So we might not be on the same level spiritually as they are. We in the West have great lessons to learn from those who walk faithfully in difficult conditions in Nigeria, in Sudan, in other places. So every time I go to serve, I am greatly blessed seeing how God inspires faith in those to have so little materially. Bill said uh, a lot of good things there, but you know we're all the same at the foot of the cross. When God looks at us, when he looks at the people that we partner with, his kids overseas, we're all equal in the eyes of God. You know, we, so often in, in missions and in this nonprofit world, there are many ways where we differ, but there's also many ways where we're the same. We have one Father, we have one Savior, we have one Spirit, we are one body, and we have one mission. You know, there are hills that I'm willing to die on, but if we look at the main, keeping the main things the main things, and say, you know what, these people, man, they worship a little bit differently than us, their music is a little bit differently, they do communion a little bit differently, but you know what? They love the Lord. They realize and they know that there's only one way to God, and that's through the cross. You know what? Then we can work together for this one mission. If we want to build empowering relationships and partnerships with people overseas, we need to learn to listen. We need to understand the need. We need to build on what they already have. We need to go and train. We need to continue to build the relationships and, and dignity. We need to then follow up and polish the training that they've received so it builds their confidence and they're ready to continue with what becomes a permanent ministry. And then finally, we need to realize that, you know what? We're all the same at the foot of, of the cross, and so we need to walk together in humility. 
They have strengths. We have strengths. We're one team on one mission. And when we focus on each other's strengths, knowing what their strengths are, knowing what our strengths are, realizing, you know what, they're different, but they're, they're no, there's no hierarchy. We will be able to build effective, long-term relationships that ultimately, if you remember back to the mission, that tape measure, the only way that we will accomplish the Great Commission is by training indigenous Christ followers, turning the ministry over to them in areas where they see the need in their own community and then go and do the same elsewhere. Thanks for taking the time to participate in the GMHC, this breakout session, building, empowering partnerships. Now we'll open it up and I'd love to answer any questions that you may have.